pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome everyone to another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David Martins and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And my guests today are fourth-generation part owners of Sunnyland Farms. Sunnyland Farms is located in Albany, Georgia, the heart of Pecan country. Family-owned since 1948, Sunnyland has grown from a small mail-order company to a global e-commerce business with thousands of satisfied customers. My guests have worked to bring their love for delicious nuts, dry fruits, and more to their customers. Alex and Stacy Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. How are you? Good. It starts snowing again. So it's DC, it's 25 degrees right now. So that's what we're having. But anyway, two important questions before we start. Have you been to Portugal? I have not even been to Portugal, but I took three semesters of Portuguese in college. So that counts, right? That, that's, a, that's a C plus. Okay? That's right. That's a C, yeah. That's, that's that's a C. A C. And I haven't at all. So okay. I Do you know any Portuguese words? So sadly, I, I mixed it with Spanish. So I know, you know, I still remember seeing Curobam, Obrigado, the basics. Um, but if we get any more detailed, I'll, I'll show my hand quickly. Perfect. So before we talk about Sunnyland, I want to know what happens in Albany, Georgia on a Saturday afternoon. What's going on there? So I guess it probably depends on uh, your age group. So for us, it involves a lot of kid activities. Um, but, you know, Albany is a, a pretty cool town. There's a great outdoor scene. So if you're into golf or if you're into hunting or fishing, so South Georgia provides all of that. Um, also, you know, we've got a local brewery like most towns at this point. There's a pretty good downtown scene. So good restaurant. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be. Perfect. So we'll start right away, you know, in a short version, I guess, the history of Sunnyland Farms, if you can explain. Sunnyland Farms started in 1948 by my grandparents. Actually, uh, we sit in the middle of a pecan orchard that's about 1,700 acres. Um, and my great-grandfather bought that in 1926 while he still lived in Atlanta. Um, my grandparents moved down in the early 1950s after starting the business in 1948 in Atlanta, uh, just selling as a fundraiser my grandmother's alumni club uh, for Wellesley College. Uh, and then they figured, hey, if, if, if people like um, pecans, uh, maybe other people would as well. So they started off small as a, as a catalog selling just basically pecans only. Um, and then it kind of grew from there. Uh, and in the late 60s, they kind of decided, do we need to get in or get out? Um, the business was at, at kind of a crossroads. Uh, they decided to get in and the, and the business started growing. They started adding more product lines, different nuts, and dried fruits, added it commercial kitchen where we make cakes and candies. Um, and then, of course, obviously, in the last 20 years, as, as e-commerce has become bigger, uh, we still send out a lot of print pieces, but a lot of that business is coming uh, online as well. So that's a, kind of the, the quick history of it. And because the last year and a half, uh, I'm sure maybe your orders went up or down, uh, but because how did you navigate the pandemic as a local business uh, in the industry? I think it really went from because we have our wholesale side of our business and we also have, you know, our non-wholesale side and the wholesale side probably went down. I mean, that's where we, you know, provide for hotels and really, really large um, pallet orders of pecans. Um, on the um, mail order side, we've actually increased in sales. Um, and then that's because we've always delivered, you know, free shipping to your door. 
And so we were set up for, you know, the era of COVID to, to provide, you know, fresh quality nuts and, and fruits and candies, you know, um, and gifting to yep. people. So I would say it's both, you know, wholesale down, non-wholesale up. Can you tell me about the connection between your love for food and farming that uh, you bring to your current positions? Yeah, I came from a food background, obviously, and, and Alex and I met in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was in, he was working in the financial business and I was working in the food business. And prior to getting married, we, I asked him if he was, he, if he was interested in moving back down to his family farm and taking over the business at some point. And he would never say no, because I, you know, I just think that he had a passion for it. And I mean, this was in his early twenties. And so I kind of knew that we were both headed here at some point in our lives. And, um, and so moving down here for me was just such a great opportunity to, to move, to, to give back to a small town, rural community and to continue this family tradition that his family started. And it was just a natural, um, for me, a natural, you know, segue into, into my food business, my food background and um, coming and working with all of their wonderful, wonderful, high quality products. So, and then Alex is probably his parents never told him he had to like come back. Like that was not the situation where there was pressure. He just all. show up one day. More yeah. of a desire to, to continue. Yeah. They, they never, we never even really kind of talked about it. And so I, I went out after college and, and wanted to you know do some different things and wound up in a weird little, not a weird, but a different, a smaller niche of finance and equity compensation. And, and Stacy, as she mentioned, we, we met in Nashville and lived there for six and a half years, or I lived there six and a half years. I think she lived there for 10 um, and, you know, I would get off work and go hang out at the bar at the restaurant she worked at and sit there and talk to the bartender and, you know, wait for her to get off. And we'd go out to different restaurants and do things like that. And, uh, and then we moved to Atlanta for my job. And then, you know, I was traveling a lot and, and we kind of just decided it would be a good time. So we moved back in 2015 and it's been a great fit. You know, we have great products to work with. And so one of the things that's cool and exciting is that, you know, one is that you're taking a business where we have great employee tenure, which is great. So we have people who've been here 30 and 40 years, and, and that's phenomenal. There's a lot of knowledge. But at the same time, you kind of get in the habit of doing some things the same way because you've always been doing them that way. And so I was able to come in with a fresh eye um, and kind of modernize some of our business practices, um, maybe refresh some of the product lines and Stacy comes up with a lot of the recipes. I just figure out how we're going to get them out in mass. Uh, so we always have that balance because Stacy has tons of ideas, all these great ideas. And I have to figure out, okay, that's, that's awesome. When we're testing out our kitchen at home, how do I make 5,000 of these and, you know, efficiently. And so we kind of have that balance. So it's, it's been, it's been fun. And before like we decided to move down here from Atlanta, it was just, it, when you would talk to his family me coming from the food business and the farm to table background, I mean, the farm to table movement was really just taking off in the US, you know, and um, people were, you know, becoming very passionate, chefs were becoming passionate about knowing where your ingredients come from. And um, to have this like, you know, 1700 acre Georgia pecan farm, um, I was just like, oh my gosh, you guys are like the real deal, you know, and um, this is so exciting to be able to be a part of it. And, um, and so that's kind of, those are the, those are kind of the, the meat and potatoes, if you will, of why we, why we came down here. I haven't traveled a lot in the U S but I absolutely love Nashville. I went there and I was blown away. It's a very, very nice city. Joke and say we had to leave for Nashville to become cool because it became <laughs> like the it city, like it the is. year we left. That's... <laughs> so. <laughs> so someone promised me this, this, this is exciting, but can you explain the process of pecan harvesting? Cause they told me it's way more interesting than people might think. So you have to yeah, blow me away so... right now. 
So um, the harvesting process, so what happens is, um, you know, usually late September, early uh, October, you get what's called shuck split. So pecans, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. don't even know what pecans are, especially once you start getting a little farther north. Um, but, and we're working hard as an industry to, to, to increase knowledge on that. But pecans not only have the brown outer shell that people are familiar with, the, the hard outer shell, but they also have what's called a shuck. So they grow inside of a shuck, in shuck inside of a shell. And so you get what's called shuck split. And that means that it's, it, you can start harvesting. So what happens is you have a, a machine called a shaker and it's this tiny little machine that's low to the ground. It's got this giant robotic arm. And depending on the size of the tree, it grabs either the trunk of the tree and shakes it with you know, very quick vibrations and all the, all the nuts ideally fall to the ground. Um, or if it's a big older tree, it grabs different uh, limbs and you shake the same tree multiple times. But after you get the nuts on the ground, you have what's called a sweeper that comes through. And so it's basically like, uh, and there are different configurations on the tractor, but you know, you can have uh, these giant brushes and they kind of roll up and I kind of, just to, to, to give a visual, it's almost like the brush setting on the bottom of a, of a vacuum cleaner. So they sweep really hard uh, and they blow them into these rows. Yeah, it's like a and farmer you, Roomba that people have in their houses nowadays. It's exactly, a but it's exactly. a farming Roomba. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's like a farming Roomba. It brushes them out of the way of the of the of the tires of the tractor, so you don't run over your product. And then you go over them with another machine called a harvester. And what it does is it kicks, ideally, it kicks all the pecans into a wagon. It kicks all the sticks and rocks and other stuff out. Uh, and then you run it up to uh, what we call a cleaning plant. And that's where you further separate all the stuff that didn't get kicked out in the field. And then you go through the sizing process and, and get the actual cleaned pecan that then you can take to market or to your shelling plant or do whatever you, you would do with it. One thing that's unique about Sunnyland too, is that, you know, most people in the pecan industry are either growers of pecans or shellers of pecans. So they normally don't do both. And so what's great about us is we have our hands in the process from the tree all the way down to really the table because we grow them and we also shell them on site. So it's just we have our hands in the whole the entire process. And again, uh, because I a lot of this actually I don't know. Is there a lot of waste since you said, you know, there's a shell and then there's a little uh, thing protecting also the pecan. When you get rid of that, do you use that for anything or you just basically throw it away? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of different uses. So the shuck is just this organic material. It rots out in the field and it goes back into the earth. So the shell, what happens in, in different plants, different shelling plants are configured different ways, but there's a lot of different uses. So um, a lot of people like to smoke meats with it. So it's like smoking with pecan wood, but you can use pecan shell. Um, we have actually set up in our shelling plant where we kick the shell over to a, a large industrial sized boiler and then we incinerate it and, and use the stand to power the plant. So we're um, okay. using it for our own energy. Yeah. So, um, and like I said, you know, different, different size plants probably use it for use different size things. Um, you, you, you can also send it to green biomass plants that burn it um, just because there's so much of it generated. You, like you could sit there and bag it and sell it for, for, for smoking and things like that as well. Let's just say a mature uh, pecan tree, how many pecans can produce? So it depends on the year. So, Pecans um, are usually what's kind of called a, well, not biennial, but basically you have a great year and then you kind of have an off year if it's a mature tree. And so, you know, we have some stewards. So our, our, our original trees were planted in 1921. So they're a hundred years old. We have some big variety called stewards and, and on a good year, um, you know, they might produce 400 pounds, you know, maybe more. So it's a lot of nuts coming off one tree. 400 pounds um, for one tree? Yeah, but it's it, but they're really big trees. 
So, you know, that was planted back in the 20s where mm-hmm. they planted on a traditional like 20 trees per acre is, you know, um, planting and they just let them grow or just let them grow. Now you're seeing people plant them closer together and you can keep them hedged. So almost keep them smaller. You, you crop one side one year, you crop the other side another year, you crop the, at the top the third year. Um, you keep the trees smaller, but you plant more per acre. And people are do this for a lot of reasons. One, you get better yields per acre, but two, it lets more sunlight in the orchard. It lets more ventilation in the orchard. Um, and so it keeps the, the process uh, a little more natural. Uh, and it also helps, you know, it helps with yield. So I, you know, in farming, everybody's always trying to maximize their yield, right. of course. So. I think something that's not known outside of the industry really is that just like any other, you know, food product, there are different varietals of pecans. So in our, in our orchard, just at Sunnyland, we probably have up to seven or eight different pecan varietals and they all taste different. They all look different. They have different oil contents. Um, and I would say the top two most popular varietals are the desirable mammoth halves, which are the big, big, you know, halves. And then we also have the Elliott half, which has a really, really high oil content. And um, we find that chefs and bakers really like the Elliott because it has so much like just, you know, flavor bang for your buck. Now the mammoth, the desirable ones are the really, really big ones that look really, really pretty. But um, the, the Elliott's are what's, what's really popular. But I think that that's just something that's not known really outside of the industry, that there are so many different kinds. Yeah. I'm from Portugal, and we do have a lot of uh, walnut trees. And people have them in their backyards. A lot of olive trees, but a lot of walnut trees. How does the quality of the tree affect the quality of the nuts? Do you ever have a tree that, well, you did say that sometimes one year they give some and sometimes they don't. But so basically, can everybody grow good quality nuts in their backyards and also the best type of soil slash weather to grow? That's a good question. So quality, I only ask one good question per podcast. So this is my question. So quality varies year to year. Um, and there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, one is water. So pecan trees need a lot of water. The second is, you know, growing conditions. So did it did they get enough sunlight, um, especially in stages like filling out? So a couple of years ago, we had what we thought was a great crop. Uh, and then, you know, pecans pretty much finished sizing. There's a stage called sizing um, where they're growing. And then the fill out stage is the last stage. So the, the shell is already there. That's how big the shell is going to be. Now that the nut inside it actually has to fill out. During that, you need a lot of water. So you need good rains or irrigation. Um, and then you also want, you know, sunlight. So you photosynthesis in the tree. And so um, all of those variables, you know, some of those things you can, you can add irrigation, right? But it's not the same as getting a good soaking two inch rain once a week. So yeah, it, different types of trees grow better in different areas. Out West, they grow a couple of varieties that called a Western or a Wichita. Um, they're a little hardier. They don't, they don't require as much water. Over East, we don't grow those as well because it's just too damp. So a lot of different, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different um, types of pecans that are what they call improved, um, which are, you know, agricultural um, grade. And so it, it kind of depends, but quality, there's a lot of things that go into it that are in your control, such as, you know, you know, where you are, what you're looking at, you know, what kind of fertilizer you may use. And there's a lot of things that are out of your control, just like any other farming product. And I think too, um, it's worth mentioning that he mentioned like the Western varietals versus the Southern varietals. And there's a huge uh, rivalry there. Um, and most of what you see in like grocery stores and whatnot are Western varietals. The Southern varietals are a little bit lighter in color. And one thing mentioning too about, about Sunnyland, but prior to the seventies, 
irrigation wasn't like, you know, manufacturing irrigation wasn't a big deal. And Alex's dad actually was one of the first farmers in the South to implement irrigations in our orchards. So the, the pecans love, love a lot of water and especially down here, they love the heat, you know, the South. So that's why there's so many, it, it's a primary growing condition. And as a side note, I did say off the record, but it's true. So I, I was lucky enough uh, to try some samples and even as a chef, it's amazing how, you know, you buy nuts in the store and I'm not saying every store is like this and they taste yeah. fine. Sure. You eat one and it's like, okay, when I tried yours, even if it was just a regular pecans with nothing, some were called a kissed uh, candy, right? There's a, the name. Right. Yeah. yeah the, those the are gone in 20 minutes and yeah. so they're absolutely delicious. It's amazing. The quality. And this is true, not because you're here on the podcast, but I remember trying one. I was like, oh, this is just unbelievable. And do more commercial things that go to the stores. Do they go through a different process that's, I mean, as much as sounds silly, that takes the taste away or no? I think the biggest thing between like commercial, like grocery store, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with those, like you said, but um, I do think that um, storage wise, that's, it's the biggest thing you can do with a pecan is you're supposed to keep it frozen until you want to bring it up to yeah, the shelf life. That's, mm-hmm. that's so opposite of most food products. Like you don't use the freezer, but um, for nuts, it actually seals in the oil. And the longer it sits at room temperature, you're losing the oil content. So if you see nuts out in like, say the produce section in a grocery store, who knows how long they've been sitting at room temperature. And so it's lost, it's about all the oil has evaporated. So that's why like that quality difference, it depends like how you store a pecan is so important. The, the thing that makes pecan kind of taste in of course, pecan farmers bias, but the things that, that, that makes them so flavorful, which is the oil, also contributes to a shorter shelf life. And wow. so there's, they, you know, they just don't store them usually as they should be stored. It's not that, that really that the nuts that they're starting off with are it's really different, right? are, are, are worse or ours are any better or anything like that, but we just keep them, you know, in a climatized controlled environment until it's time to ship them. And yeah. so, and with each package, we, you know, include instructions like, Hey, if you're not gonna eat these, you know, within the next couple of weeks, keep them in your freezer. If you're going to eat them within four to six weeks or your refrigerator, four to six weeks freezer. Um, otherwise they'll go rancid that higher oil content does make them, you know, go rancid quicker. Yeah. And you can say yours are better. It's okay, Alex. I, I'll put that on the record there. So it's okay. You talked a little bit about sometimes how unpredictable things can be, weather. How does, for instance, climate change or the weather nowadays being so right different uh, affect your production? And what do you do to safeguard against it? You know, as anybody can tell, there seem to be more natural events lately, right? So like wildfires in California, more hurricanes, tornadoes. So in 2017, 2018, we had a lot of storms down here. So 2017, we had two tornadoes in Albany that within three weeks of each other in January, which is, so January is not supposed to be tornado season. It's supposed to go through November. So, but it was warmer, um, which gave tornado conditions. Luckily we missed those two. We lost a hundred or so trees in the second one. But in 2018, October 10th of 2018, Hurricane Michael came through um, the Gulf Coast as a category, high category four or category five, depending on who you ask. Um, and it came through Albany, which is, you know, significantly inland still as a cate- high category two, low category three, again, depending on who you ask. You know, we're not supposed to be getting tornado type winds. We should, we get the, we get the rains, we get that. So, you know, we lost 4,100 trees in that. Um, so that's significant. 
Um, so we lost that year's crop as well. So we lost yeah, 4,000 yeah. trees and we lost that year's crop, yes, yeah. which was a very large crop. So, yeah. you know, things like that, things like, um, you know, warmer, it seems like crops have been a little later than they traditionally have been, whether it's because that it seems like the cool time that starts the shuck split, uh, just happens a little later. Um, you know, we're all just trying to figure out the best way to kind of navigate that. But, but, but the storms have definitely had the most impact on us for sure. And the yeah. hotter it is, the trees need they, the trees need a lot of water and so the hotter it is in the summer the more, the more we're gonna we're having yeah. to water them when you plant a, wal a walnut tree or pecan tree how long how many years until it starts to produce something yeah so they'll start producing you know something you know six seven years but real real production you know 12 to 12 ish years before you start getting decent production and then they really start kind of hitting their prime 15 to 20 um, which is different than say like a pistachio tree which you can plant and then in like four to five years it's it's cranking out you know pretty close to its max yield or an almond they're just much shorter trees so in total how many trees do you have <laughs> good question um so you know i think it's around twenty-eight thousand. Yeah. Um, it's a lot so. of trees, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's a, yeah. it's a lot of trees. Yeah. It okay. Is. 20, okay. Perfect. One of the products I saw on your website, and I would love to try it, and I have no idea how it tastes like. It's Mayhay Jam. What Mayhaw. is it? What is it? What does, what does it taste like? So, Mayhaw is a little berry that grows um, naturally um, down in the south. Very southern. It's a very southern product. Very southern. You find it outside it, of the south. You know, cook it down just like you would do with any other jam. Um, it's kind of tart. And so you, you add sugar content to your liking, but it's very, yeah, it's a very Southern, Southern thing. And then there's also one uh, that we, we've sold previously that didn't sell as well. And we haven't done it in a couple of years. It's a, like a Mayhaw pepper jelly, which pepper jelly is a big, very yeah. Southern as well. Each of you, the best dessert that you make using the pecans that you sell or other nuts. I, so Stacy usually makes the desserts at this point, but so I'm, I'm pretty basic when it comes to baking. I can make, you know, I, I, I like a chocolate pecan pie, so that's good. Yeah, that, that's probably, and I, it's really hard to really, really, really mess up a pecan pie. Like you can, you can mess up cakes pretty or cookies pretty easily, but you know, that gives me the, the range I need to, uh, to, to not mess it up. I love I love a pecan pie. It's just when I moved to the US, it was really it's it's something that really goes to my heart. I love a pecan pie. How about you, Stacy? What do you make? What do I make? Yeah. I think that I think that some uh, as far as the pecan goes, so many people use it in the in the sweet category, and pecans are really really versatile. We sell a pecan meal, and um, I like to dust like you know a really really nice fillet of fish with it. And it just adds that like wonderful nutty component and, and an oil, you know, content to the, to the actual savory dish. I like to use them instead of breadcrumbs, like on top of things and to add that crunch. Um, but as far as sweet, the sweet factor goes, like, of course, I'm partial to a, uh, to a pecan pie. We actually redeveloped our recipe a couple of years back. But, um, but I really, I really, I like pecans and candies. Like I like them in like the pecan praline caramel and i like them in chocolate so a pecan chocolate cluster is is delicious you mentioned about using guns on something that was savory for instance I, I think it's in turkey what they do they coat them with egg whites 
uh, any nuts basically and then you basically spice it up you put a lot of spices paprika and pepper and then you roast them in the oven and they soak and they, that basically that coating of spicy nuts then just stays uh, like that it's pretty delicious so yeah you don't have to use just for for sweets but this is an important question each of you will answer okay imagine that you go to a private island doesn't matter which island that i leave up to you in your mind you can only take one protein one veggie one fruit and one dessert what do you take you okay, have so, you have an island in mind to start it's easier let's let's picture um tahiti perfect just for yes. you okay <laughs> just for you and alex so what do you take what's the protein you take yeah the protein would be ahi tuna the finest grade okay yeah. which veggie you take veggie zucchini definitely zucchini the fruit fruit probably papaya and the desserts dessert um I'm, i'm a southern girl it'd probably be peach cobbler i thought you're going to take your pecan pie with you like peach just... pecan cobbler yeah. yes okay. yes yes okay <laughs> do you agree with all those choices alex would you change anything no i would change yes oh, i think perfect. i would change all of those okay for go, for, so, go for yeah. it so yeah i you know i think it, you know it, it, i'm assuming i might have to eat this my entire life i, I would have to take either pork belly or something that might get heavy day after day but i, I mean For a vegetable, I, I like asparagus, I think. So I'd go with asparagus fruit. Uh, I mean, it's not very exciting, but I eat a lot of bananas. I love bananas. If, if it wasn't, if it, was, if it wasn't wrong. a banana, it'd probably be, um, you know, some kind of berry, blueberries or blackberries. I love those. And then for any dessert I could have at this French restaurant in Atlanta that Stacey used to work at, they made this tart to 10. And I think that was like the best thing I've, I've ever eaten so I do like I do like that that or like a coconut cream pie. So see, just imagine going to to Tahiti with just a, a coconut cream pie under your arm. See, perfect. That's, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, so shifting the conversation, the one I asked every guest, uh, and you can take turns or both answer. What was your first memory of taste? It's interesting that Alex and I come from agriculture, food backgrounds. Like on one side of my family, they were in the seafood business on the North Carolina coast. My mom's family was from um, really, really far down South Florida and they were farmers and they grew uh, avocados, they grew mangoes, they grew um, plantains. And so I think that my first, you know, experience with flavor would definitely be down there eating the, the mango like right off one of my grandfather's trees, you know, and having like just big sliced avocados, like they would just have like sliced avocado with every single meal. It was very tropical, you know, I mean, because they're south of Miami, you know. And so um, that's what I grew up eating and, and loving, you know, those, those, those kinds of flavors. Yeah, yeah, like a really early, like, something where I was like, whoa, that's incredible was, uh, you know, when my parents would go out of town to, for whatever meeting, my brother and I would go stay with my, my grandparents who, who started Sunnyland. And um, we would all, one of the things we would always do is one, we would always boil eggs and dye them and then hide them around their house and fight them. And then two, we would always make pancakes in the morning. And I remember like the first time we ever had this and we used to sell it, this maple syrup. And it was in, I can still see the bottle. It was still this like little brown bottle and thinking, I don't know what this syrup is, but it is the best thing I've ever had. And, and I think it was some Vermont maple syrup. And that's one of the kind of the aha moments. You're like, whoa, this, this is incredible because it's not like the syrup that I normally eat. That's, I guess, probably corn syrup or whatever. Like this is like legitimate syrup. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that one sticks out in my head. So you boiled eggs and you hide it in your house? 
Yeah, you'd like hide them. You like, cannot uh, just like, say that and you just walk away from that statement. Yeah, like, so. yeah, like, like boiled, yeah, you're like five years old. You like boil eggs and you make them dye them with different food coloring. And then we'd hide Oh, for them Eastern. And, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even for Easter, though. It could just be like a random Saturday in October. And that was just an activity. We As did. you do. Perfect. What's the most underrated ingredient for you? Can I say pecans? <laughs> you can, of course, you can say pecans. Uh, yes. You know, I think you know. I, I think nuts are actually starting to get their 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 day in the sun with the Mediterranean diet and and the healthy fats and things like that. I use a lot of you know, especially when Stacy's not around. I, I use a lot of like yellow rice. That's like my go-to starch. Um, you know, the saffron rice. He, he definitely goes into the like bachelor eating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, but I love it. I love that. Like, it's, if you get some rice and some beans, it's yeah, I love, I love rice, and beans, rice and beans. Are, you can't and beat beans. rice yeah, and beans. It's, it's, true. Good. it's true. I think my most. Uh, I make a pecan pesto, and I just I know it's very seventies of me to like say pesto, but. I use pesto in a lot because it's like the easiest way to get, you know, the fresh herbs in any, any recipe, really. Like I put it in spaghetti sauce, a marinara sauce. I put it on fish. I put it on. It's just an easy way to get that, to get that flavor in a dish. So I think pesto is probably number one. I would recommend it to anybody who doesn't cook a lot, but wants like fresh herbs in there. I mean, you, cause you can make, you know, you can make any kind of pesto. It doesn't have to be basil. It can be cilantro. You know, you can go into that flavor profile, but I would say I always have pesto. Always. Yeah. Yeah, I when I teach cooking classes, people would ask me what you know what do I do with the leftover herbs because the recipe calls for two tablespoons or something, and I used to tell them first of all don't never follow a cookbook that tells you two two tablespoons because coming from Portugal we don't measure herbs we just put as much as you want, but if you have so many leftover just chop all of them I always said put a little bit of olive oil nuts start it in the freezer it's the best thing to do just keep pesto in the house yes what's right. the most overrated ingredient. Alex, if you say pecans right now, you're out of a job tomorrow. So don't say that. I know that kale is a big thing. I just, it's not my favorite. And I know that it has, it's packed full of nutrients and ingredients and, and all of that. But, um, and I think that Brussels sprouts with like ham or bacon is way overdone. I don't know. I can just think of things that I think are overdone. Avocado toast, like it's still toast with avocado on it. I would much rather have avocado with just olive oil and some cilantro, you know, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> yeah. Um... I'm not a big gourd person, so like squash, zucchini, um, those are, you know, those aren't my favorites. So uh, okay. you don't see them a lot. I guess it's not overdone, but it's just not not something I mm -hmm. I love. What's the best breakfast you can have? Oh man, like a full English. It depends on I guess it depends what I want to accomplish the English. rest of the day. So like if I if, if I'm trying to, I do love like a eggs Benedict. You know, like a, a good hollandaise, because that's one, I mean, I don't have the patience or the skill set to make a hollandaise sauce. Uh, I do enjoy getting that. Like, that's to me, maybe. Make a really excellent, um, just simple, basic, high-quality quiche would be would be my favorite. It's like yeah. nice heavy cream, nice cheese, you know, yeah, it's maybe good. some summer vegetables in it or something. I, I make a lot of frittatas, too. I like frittatas. What is the strangest combination food-wise when people put two or three ingredients together that you just cannot accept? So, well, I guess my brother used to, and I don't know if he still oh does, my, my brother used to have what he would call the universal grain rule, where you can substitute any grain for any other grain. So he would have you know, interesting <laughs> combinations of like oats with marinara on them. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm just saying wow. the universal grain rule. So it, that was always strange to watch. I, I don't know anybody else that does that though. So that's kind of obscure. Oats with marinara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, I can't 
think of like combinations that I don't like. I, I'm thinking of combinations and I'm thinking of like prosciutto and melon. I'm like, no, those go amazingly together. And like mango and cucumber. I love those together. Um, I can't think of a combination that I don't really like. I'm not a big peanut butter and jelly person. Okay. I'm not, my kids eat it every single day and I've tried to get them on like pecan butter and honey instead. But um, I would probably say peanut butter and jelly. And I know that's very anti-American. No, it's perfect. Jelly. It's perfect. Not my favorite. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on that one, but I can say it. I'm not American, so I'm okay with that. Well, uh, my kids eat it every day, so you know. <laughs> so the name of the podcast is "Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes." Those are actually two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Of course, you can put it, this as a perspective of Sunnyland Farms, right? So, uh, do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Yeah, that is a good question. Very good question. Yeah, I'm open. Um, yeah, I mean, that's my goal every day is to exceed the expectations, not only of, you know, what I put on myself, but what, you know, our, I, I hope our employees are putting um, back on me to, to, you know, both from a product standpoint, but also from a company culture standpoint and, and things like that. You know, my goal is to exceed, you know, the expectations of our, our customers when we get them, we, we, you know, our tagline is only the best. And so when you put that out there, it's got to be a good product. And, and so I'm hoping that we're, we're breaking dishes daily um, in the classics, like the cons, the cashews that we sell, and then anything else that we try to bring to market. At the end of the podcast, I always tell my guests to sell their fish, sell their fish. It's also other Portuguese phrase. If someone to tell us to sell your fish, it's to talk about yourself, you know, where people can find Sunnyland Farms, you know, what people can do to order, where they can go online, just just sell your fish. You can find us online, of course. You can find us in print. You can find, you know, um, our catalog is just still so endearing. And it's something that's been around since 1948. And um, we were actually one of the first catalogs like to, to come out. And um, his grandparents really figured that there was, knew there was a need. And I think that we still you know, that whole print, you know, debate, I still think that people love to see something tangible. We include our employees in our catalog. We have like our products on the left side and we have a panel along each page. And of course, marketing analysts have told us to get rid of that page and because it's prime real estate, but we, we are adamant. We want to um, tell our story of Sunnyland Farms. And it's, it's always a family story, whether it's employee, family, or actually like the Wilson family. Um, it's something that we really pride ourselves on as our employees. So yeah, so print online. Find us at sunnylandfarms.com um, is probably the easiest way, right? Um, but yeah, we. if you wanna see more about us, we have a catalog that we can send. Um, we're working on adding more of information about our employees. So as Stacy mentioned, we we highlight, you know, almost every employee that we have is somewhere in our catalog and print piece. And that really lets people connect with our brand and realize, hey, it's not just, you know, a product that's coming out of a giant warehouse that'll be at your door in a, in a, in a day or two. Um, yeah. We understand we're at the higher price point into the spectrum. Um, so we have to show our value proposition and the service that we offer our customers and the quality. And if either one of those fails, then we're going to be out of business. And that's kind of what we tell everybody here every day is it's service and quality and that's it. Right. You know? We're like going to feature our kitchen manager who works in our farm, our farm kitchen. She's the one in there that's hand making those pralines and sending them out, you know? So featuring that is something that's really important for us as a, as a business. Well, Alex and Stacy, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I will say what I said before. The product is outstanding. 
I haven't tried all of them, but just what I had, the rum crunch cake, everything is just good. Everything is just delicious. Um, so I really encourage everybody to go to your website and just start buying in bulk in boxes. Just start storing your whole house in your freezer with uh, the nuts because they're really good. So I really appreciate you, both of you coming on the podcast. If I ever go to Albany, Georgia, I'll give you a call. Okay. Thank you so Thank much. You for having it's us. been it so great. fun. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank right, you. Thanks. You too. Did you learn things today? I did as well. Thank you very much, Alex and Stacey, for coming on the podcast. I do encourage everyone, and this is absolutely true, their products are delicious, absolutely delicious. So please go check their website to order some for you and for your friends and for your loved ones. Don't forget, if you want to send me an email, you can do so to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. You can also find me on the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, and also on the Instagram page, Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes. I'll be back next Wednesday as always. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you're happy. Adios.